a podcast for dads who love music, made by dads who love music. And now, your hosts, Josh and Joe. Hello, and welcome to Dad Rocks, the podcast about being a dad and loving music and how the two intersect in our lives. I'm Josh, and I'm here with my co-host, Joe. What's up, Josh? And our producer, Steve. Hey, guys. On this episode, we are going to discuss something that none of us have been able to experience in almost a year, and that is concerts. We'll discuss some of the most memorable ones we've seen and how we are able to fit them into our daily life with a family in mind. Also joining us today is a friend of mine and the biggest concert goer that I know. Plus, he's one of the most in-demand cameramen in New York City, Adam Shanker. Adam and I have worked together on dozens of video shoots over the last two decades in New York City with artists from Beyonce to J-Lo to John Legend. Pre-pandemic, Adam would go to roughly 100 shows per year. He has 40 plus years of incredible stories to share, and we really had a blast talking with them. But before we get to that, let's check in. Josh, what have you been up to? Well, uh, so for the third time this year, our school is uh, in shutdown or we're, we're fully remote. Uh, we are currently in uh, our first full week of being fully remote out of a two-week fully remote uh, segment uh, because we had several uh, COVID cases in our school, um, mm. supposedly not connected, though uh, in my mind, I think two of them may have been connected, though I can't confirm. Thankfully, no one as far as I know, has gotten really, really badly that they ended up in the hospital. But uh, we did have a couple of staff members who, you know, had some pretty bad symptoms. Uh, one of them I, I work pretty closely with, and uh, he's he's feeling better, but he's uh, still not 100%. So it's just, you know, it's just a reminder how this thing is still chugging along. And even though my school has, you know, we've been doing in-person and hybrid, you know, for the most part of this year, this is the third time we've been shut down. So it's still not like perfect. And this past uh, chunk is the longest time. And that was about five weeks, which is kind of long, but also it's, you know, still pretty disruptive. So I'm hoping that, you know, with people getting vaccinated and the, the weather hopefully getting warmer soon, that this won't be such an ordeal and that things will slowly go back to normal. But, you know, it's not, the worst thing for me, at least, to be home with my family working. Yeah. In that mode, though, uh, we, my wife is getting really stressed out uh, with her job and just being home nonstop. And she's kind of ready to, you know, get back into the real world, even though she, she doesn't want to, but it's, it's, she just needs a break from life. And, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's one of those things where she, you know, when you're in the house nonstop for the last, what, I guess almost 12 months now. And you're dealing with a toddler and your husband and your mother-in-law, <laughs> you know, on top of there being a pandemic, um, you yeah, know, and you haven't really got out. Stress. Yeah. And you haven't really gotten out much and your job is just, you know, it's not her favorite thing to do. And it's a job that, you know, she kind of likes, but she wishes she could be doing something else. It just takes a toll. So she's starting to hit the wall, like in a lot of respects. So I've just been, you know, really trying to help her out, help her deal with uh, these situations. And, um, you know, thankfully we're all good, you know, but my son, he's, uh, he's really starting to, uh, explode, you know, in different ways. Uh, he has been getting better with his frustrations. Uh, we've had been dealing with hitting in the past, uh, not like bad hitting, but like he gets frustrated. He smacks, he has kicked before, but 
Mm-hmm. We'll, if he hits, we'll say, this is a warning, or you get a timeout or a consequence, and he usually stops. Sometimes we'll have to give him a, a consequence or put him in the crib with, for a timeout for a minute or two, but then he usually calms down. But he's been getting better at, at uh, realizing what he's done. And, you know, his vocabulary in general is just exploding. He's now saying full sentences, like, you know, five, six-word sentences. You know, he he really can identify things. He remembers people's. He, like, his imagination is just exploding like he's having the first time where he can like talks about like these imaginary things and going to imaginary places and it's really great to see because it's like oh you're becoming a real person a real kid yeah um exactly and it's it's really cool to see you know how he's just growing and it's kind of scary but it's also really amazing um but you know as i mentioned uh with my wife uh working from home still and my school you know we're going to be slowly going back to full time at some point you know we're going to be potentially at a uh, childcare dilemma. Uh, and so we may have to put him back into daycare because my mom is only coming up four days a week. And my wife, uh, you know, because I've had so many different days off in the past couple months, she's been able to like still work five days a week without taking too many days off or she's used extra vacation days that she's had to use. But uh, we may be coming to a situation where we may have to send him back to daycare, which we don't really want to do. But if push comes to shove, we, we may have to. So we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But uh, another really cool thing that it's been going on with my son is that he's been starting to get into music a little more, like legitimately like wants to hear specific songs. Like when I got the Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings, uh, I think I might have mentioned this on the podcast before, uh, the uh, the cover the cover album um, yes. just dropped in uh, to – what is it? Uh, I forget the whole. See my rendition. See my, or something. Yeah, see, see my rendition. The, the condition yeah. of my rendition is in. <laughs> That's cool. Like he heard their version of Sign Seal Delivered. So he got into that, which then led into him getting into Stevie Wonder, which led me to buy the Sign Seal Delivered vinyl, which he loves to hear between Stevie Wonder, Sharon Jones, and Neil Francis, his Changes album. They're starting to have some dance parties. He loves watching the vinyl go around on the record player. This past week, he's been starting to get into playing on my drum set, like having me sit there and we'll like play and he'll want me to sing Old McDonald while I'm playing the drums and then he'll like try to mimic. It's just, it's, it's starting to get really cool to see him wanting to sing songs, even though he can't sing for the life of him. <laughs> you know, he's a two-year-old, but... Uh, yeah. it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, you know, really cool to see. And I'm excited to s- hopefully see his love of music really explode, uh, in the next couple of years, but we shall see. So that, that's, <laughs> what's been going on with me for the most part. What about you guys? I am trying to build a streaming set in my <laughs> extra bedroom. And so I got a shelf built and I have been dealing with that. It's been interesting because. One, it's not a vinyl shelf per se. It's not like the Ikea built out, you know, set up, but it's great. Like I get to kind of basically like Joe and I especially follow these Instagram people, you know, who post their vinyl. Yep. And I've kind of wanted to like somewhat compete with their setup and like make it really exactly. visual and interesting. Yeah. Books <laughs> and here. cool, cool set pieces. So I was like, well, I also want to do streams on it. So the, the shelf is up. Now I just have to kind of like organize it and everything and then I have to start testing cameras. So that's been really cool. But, you know, for, for visual, it's good. Kind of differentiates things. And then um, aside from that, I finally subscribed to Nugs.net, mm-hmm. which is the, the concert streaming service. They had that special, which was like $50 for the year. And it was like the last day. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to do it. 
But I was like, you know what? I've bought a couple concerts on Nugs. And a friend of ours, uh, Damien, is like kind of a proponent of it. And he, he says, you know, a bunch of good things. It's no matter what, it's going to give endless entertainment aside from the, the vinyl. So that's been good. Joe, <laughs> what's been going on with you, man? So with me and parenting, um, my son, who's 13, he's been all in on the Robin Hood <laughs> stock explosion, awesome. GameStop, AMC. Um, I, I, I was in on that a little bit, too. Yeah. I, I, I yeah. inadvertently bought AMC stock. That's awesome. <laughs> Months ago. And then I saw it go up and I didn't sell it before uh, when it hit 20. I'm just, uh, I'm just yeah, holding would have known, you know, I yeah. mean, so yeah, hold on. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll, maybe it'll uh, virally grow again. <laughs> so his tutor down the street, I mean, he was going to a tutor, a girl who's in college or kind of family friends and um, him and, and her nephew, um, both, she was trying to tell them back in December about stocks and mainly Robin hood and penny stocks so they both come home, each house, and they're like, we got to get, you know, sign me up for Robin Hood, and I need my own bank account. Like, all of a sudden, it was like, thousand percent in, like, you know, out this. of nowhere. Never mentioned the word stock before, you know, and then it's like, hold <laughs> on. So, okay, fine. It sounds like a good idea. We sign up for Robin Hood. Again, this is in December. And so his friend is pretty smart, and my son, too. And, you know, they're good at, like, researching things. And right away, he's like, yeah, there's this stock, you know, we know, the, obviously, the store GameStop mm-hmm. and AMC and, like, others. And so we did a couple, you know, $20 here, $40 here, but not those two, of course. And then I was sitting here where I am now, and he runs down the day of the GameStop explosion. He's mm. like, you, did you see what happened? You'll never believe what happened. And I was so mad that whole day. And he yeah. was throwing it in my face. <laughs> like, I told you. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, no response. Like, yeah, you're, uh, yeah, it went up to $400 from whatever. So yeah. since then, though, he's been really into it. Nice. We keep investing in things here and there, little, you know, little amounts here and there. But he's, he's pretty good. He's been watching a lot of YouTube accounts. Actually, I put on CNBC sometimes during the day when he's sitting there. I'll just like throw it on and he watches a little bit. But mainly like YouTube guys, he shows me these guys who do these daily videos for like tips and mm-hmm. they really break it all down. So it's pretty cool. I told him, keep, you know, learning this. I'm really horrible with all that stuff. Stock market. <laughs> I mean, I actually freelance at CNBC for quite a time and I still don't, yeah. you know, understand like any of it. <laughs> well, and I, I don't I, think really those guys either, to be honest, after a oh while. God, that was yeah, always no. my half, take. Like Half the time it's such a. It's all yeah, BS. It's, yep. You should definitely, I, I will say that the Robin Hood snacks email that they send at, at the beginning of the week, I definitely, I bought a couple of, uh, you know, shares of Gap. That has doubled, like, you know, oh, nice. since mm. I bought it. So it's just, you know, just reading yeah. and I'd have no idea what I'm doing. Like, thankfully, like I made yeah. some money on like, a, a, was it Sundial, which is like a, Sundial, a uh-huh. which is a, I guess, a marijuana company from Canada that was like a, yeah. under a dollar and then it flew up to like $5. So I like, you know, and but awesome. I think, and Steve and I have invested in some Dogecoin and stuff. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I have a couple of crypto too. got some too. crypto going. But Me yeah. too. you got you to keep remind uh, your son, it's ETFs. ETFs and mutual funds yeah. is the, is the Honestly, safest way to go. Yeah, every financial expert that I've talked to or read about, there you go. The index funds or ETFs usually beat every other stock. You know what I mean? Like yeah. hands down. So always have that in there. Yeah, definitely. And that's your uh, that's your dad rocks financial uh, segment right there. So Joe, continue. <laughs> so after that, um, yeah, we were with my daughter as well, who's nine. Um, we've been watching some stuff on Netflix during this ongoing quarantine. Her school ends early. Her school is done by like twelve thirty every day, so she has a lot of time to kill in the afternoon. Mainly talking with her friends on FaceTime or something, but. 
we watched some stuff on Netflix. There's a show, Henry Danger, that they used to watch with my mom all the time when they'd go over there and, and stay over. It was the Nickelodeon show. That's actually, it's really funny, even for adults. It's, it's really well done. Now it's on mm. Netflix. So that's definitely a, a, a you know parent recommendation show. It's really funny. Live action or? Yeah, concept? live action. It's about a, mm. a guy who is, is like indestructible, but he's really silly. And he, he, he kind of has this like underground bunker and like a teenage boy or like a kind of a tween, like a 12 year old goes to apply for a job, like an after-school job, and then he becomes his assistant, his, like, sidekick. Mm. Mm. That's basically the show. It's really silly, but it, it, it's really good. Yeah. The like adult shows that I wanted to point out that I watched recently that were really good were um, on Netflix, the Pretended to City miniseries with, about Fran Lebowitz and Martin Scorsese directed it. Very good. I didn't know much about Fran Lebowitz before this, and I got, like, super into her, like, diving into YouTube videos and interviews of her. I was just like really fascinated by her whole thing about New York City. And she's like seen it all. Well, it was around during the, the high heyday of like the 70s and Max's Kansas City and, and hanging out with Andy Warhol and everything. So it's really cool. But the other show was on HBO Max, a flight attendant. Me and my wife just watched that. Really, really good. But other than that, Josh and Steve both you know, mentioned vinyl. We've been like all into vinyl, trying to take trips, texting about vinyl every day. Um, oh, yeah. I just bought some stuff on Bandcamp Friday. I just received actually one today, Deep Sea Divers, new album. Also ordered the last copy of Fugazi's 13 Songs. They yes. reissued a new vinyl, of red vinyl of that. Still waiting for that. I can't wait to mm. get that. And also like Steve, just setting up my vinyl area, like LED lights around, shelves <laughs> on the wall, just little by little trying to make it, you know, as cool as possible. Yeah. yeah. Joining us today is our special guest, Adam Shanker. Adam is a director of photography and one of the most in-demand cameramen in New York City. For 35 years, he shot thousands of network shows for History Channel, A&E, Discovery, MTV, VH1, for new shows like The Today Show, 2020, Dateline, and even the Library of Congress, just to name a few. He's also shot interviews with hundreds upon hundreds of celebrities and musicians from Elton John to Keith Richards to Roger Waters to David Bowie. I met Adam 17 years ago when I had just started working for a production company in Tribeca. We hired Adam to shoot a concert with the young R&B singer Omarion at a mall in Queens. As Adam and I started talking while we waited for the concert to begin, he started talking to me about his vinyl collection and concerts he had tickets for. Over the next many years, Adam and I would be on dozens of shoots together where music was always discussed, and I soon realized that he was not only the biggest record collector I ever met, but the biggest concert goer I'd ever met in my life. Adam is the perfect guest for today's show as he has an endless amount of amazing concert stories to share from his 40 plus years of going to shows. Adam, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm a little turning red after all that. <laughs> so we have a lot, I have a lot of questions. We all have a lot of questions for you, but I just want to get right into it. Tell us about your first concert and when you really started going to concerts on a regular basis. Okay. Um, I didn't have any older brother or sister, so I was kind of on my own as far as, you know, like learning about things and going to shows. So my first show, I was, I guess, 13 years old in 1974, and I went to uh, Paul Simon. 
played um, at Avery Fisher Hall, nice. just solo acoustic. And I pretty much begged my mom to go. And she said, well, you have to have somebody taking you. You have to have a, a, an adult with you, you know, because we lived out in the sure. boondocks. And so I called up one of my camp counselors and said, you know, I couldn't get a <laughs> ticket for this show. Will you go with me if I get you a ticket? And he was like, definitely. So uh, that's basically how I went to my first show. And, you know, Paul Simon, he had just released his first solo album at that point. And it was an absolutely fantastic show. I was a huge mm -hmm. fan. That's awesome. Nice. Now, did your like your parents take you to any shows or how involved with like yeah. music were you with your parents? Yeah, my dad was really not around when I was growing up much at all. But um, when he was around, he was very into music. My dad was an audiophile and that's how I got into music. He had a huge record collection. Oh. When he died, he had well over 10,000 records and he, you know, oh, just wow. constantly swapped out hi-fi components almost every time he came home, he was uh, doing that. And he took a pleasure in setting up people's stereo systems for them. So he would go to people's houses and, you know, find just the right components for them and help them set it up. And so we had a whole closet downstairs in our house that was pretty much dedicated to all the different kind of components that he needed to like help everybody else out and just so he could play with. And it was all like, hmm. you know, new stuff that was coming out that was cool. And so I pretty much had the pick of the litter of whatever stereo components he wanted. So he got me into, you know, because he was an audiophile, wow, he mostly nice. listened to classical music, but he did get me into, you know, the Beatles because Sgt. Pepper wasn't kind of a great album for anybody who was into high fidelity yes. and Simon and Garfunkel bookends and certain things like yep. that, Bitches Brew. He didn't really take me to many concerts, but the ones he did take me to were really great, mostly at Carnegie Hall. We saw uh, nice. Andre Segovia, B.B. King, Jean-Pierre Rampal, Alexander wow. Lagoya, Ravi Shankar. We saw many times there. And uh, a couple of times we would go to like jazz clubs, probably less nice. than 10 times. My mom, on the other hand, who was around a little bit more and knew that I was a desperate you know, Beatles fan, when Paul McCartney came around for the first time that I could see him, was the Wings Over America tour. That was, I think, 1975 oh, or maybe that's awesome. 75 or maybe 76. Yeah. And so I basically told her one way or another, I'm going. And she said, well, somebody has to go with you. I couldn't get anybody to go with me. So she went with me. And that was a huge experience for her because I don't awesome. think she had that's ever great. been to anything like that before. And, you know, they had when they played Live and Let Die as the wow. encore, they had uh, lasers all across the ceilings, laser light show, which had never happened before in New York. It was like a state of the art thing. And um, it was pretty cool. That's awesome. That's, that's great. Had to have blown her mind. The other time was uh, when the Grateful Dead played the Radio City Music Hall shows in 1980.
those were pretty much the last shows I saw of the Grateful Dead. And uh, out of, I think, the seven shows, I saw four of them. But the one show that I wanted to see was Halloween because Halloween, it was such an incredibly hard ticket to get. It was the first time that they actually, in New York, they had the shows at Radio City Music Hall, but they actually sold tickets at the Beacon Theater. And it was the first time that a show in New York was simulcast to another concert hall in New York. And people bought tickets to go to the Beacon Theater oh, wow. to watch the show that was at Radio City Music Hall. Mm. And um, <laughs> um, my, 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 da my dad finagled somehow a way to get like every seat in the 14th row of Radio City Music Hall. And we like all like called our friends, wow. everybody in oh, the family oh went. Oh my God. It was pretty amazing and that was a show that i definitely went to with not only my mom and dad but their friends also which was pretty interesting well that was mm -hmm. the perfect segue for my next question because i you've told me over the years i at one point you were a deadhead traveling around seeing the grateful dead is that true yeah i mean i still like the dead my wife is a, a big deadhead right now as a matter of fact we have a, a pool table downstairs in our house and in order for me to get her to come down and play pool I pretty much bought all the Grateful Dead posters, you know, like old Grateful Dead posters. And I put them all around in that room so she'll come down and play with me. I call it the Dead Pool Room. Nice. So um, we, we have fun <laughs> down there. When I met her, it was pretty much she had just gotten tickets to see the last Grateful Dead shows that happened in New York, the Giant Stadium. We saw mm -hmm. those. And then right after that, Jerry died just a couple months later. And so oh, wow. that was um, really sad for me because I hadn't seen the dead since, I guess, 1982 in Hartford. It had been a long time and yeah. Jerry had definitely gotten old. And, you know, it was it was pretty sad to see him in that state. But in the 70s, yeah. uh, my first Grateful Dead show was uh, May of 77 which uh, many people call the Cornell show, like the best show that they've ever done. I don't know if that's true or not, oh, but yeah. uh, I mean, yes. those shows yes. were all really good. In fact, they just came out with a box set recently of Buffalo 77, which was also that set like a week before that or something. It was great. And then when English Town was announced in September, I mean, I was all over that as pretty much everybody was that was, you know, remotely into the dead in this area. I mean, it was just a, a big scene going out there. But I did travel with them, you know, going from kind of like the East Coast runs. A lot of my friends did the West Coast. You know, everybody wanted to just be almost everywhere. I felt like I had my fill, you know, basically going up from mm -hmm. Troy, Rochester, Syracuse, just all the little towns all up to Portland, Maine. The most incredible mm -hmm. time I saw them, not for the music, but just for like the scene that I was in was in the middle of Cape Cod. There's this little town. It was basically like a junior high school hockey arena, you know, that was pretty small. <laughs> and at that point, they were really big. John Shear and Delsner were promoting the hell out of them. And they were they were getting huge. I mean, they had never even played Madison Square Garden, you know, before 1979. So, you know, they were just like completely blowing oh. up. You know, we were just driving around from show to show. We were buying tickets for $5 and $7 a ticket. And so it was no big deal. I mean, I was living yeah. out of my car. And just for two weeks, I'd tell my parents, you know, I'd leave a note on my bed, actually, because I wouldn't tell them anything. I just left a note on my bed. I'll be back in two or three weeks. Don't worry about me. You know, I have a jar of peanut butter, you know. <laughs> but the show was, was absolutely tiny. It was in this hockey rink. And I wound up in the front row because, you know, we got there the night before. And we got there early. So I got in and I was front row. And I was literally through the entire concert just being crushed to death. I mean, the whole place was just trying to push forward. And <laughs> I mean, I had to lift myself up high. I couldn't even stand on the ground. And at one point it didn't look like I was on my tiptoes, but at one point it didn't matter whether I was touching the ground or not. And for most of the concert, my feet weren't even on the ground. They were holding but, you up. But the good thing was, was that my ribs weren't going to wow. crack. 
So it was only my stomach that was in danger of not being able to breathe. And, uh, <laughs> but it, it was a cool show, <laughs> but you know, I kind of like when everybody kind of like let go of me, you know, it was a big relief. So how many times do you think you've seen the Grateful Dead? Probably just under a hundred times. I've seen like the iterations of them afterwards, you know, like the other ones, you know, and everything because my wife still likes them. So I see a lot of shows every year and I try to make her happy. She goes with me to things that she doesn't care for, like Yoko Ono or things like that. And so I, I feel <laughs> obliged to get a Phil Lesh ticket once or twice a year. I know for my dad, it was the music. He loved the music. We have several albums of, of theirs. But for you, what really drove you or grabbed you about, you know, becoming a deadhead? Was it the music? Was it, you know, the atmosphere yeah. at every show or, or a combination of both? I mean, first, I would say that I was more of a Zappa freak than a deadhead. <laughs> but I saw the dead a lot. And um you know, I think it was both. It was the music, which I absolutely loved. And it was uh, like family. You know, you would see the same people at all the shows and you would kind of like get to know people's faces and just hang out with them in the parking lot first. And, you know, just it, it was um, it was a lot of fun. It felt like, you know, kind of like a commune almost, you know, where you were just like see the same people over and over again. Mm -hmm. I got into the dead in a very cool way. I was like, you know, more into like Led Zeppelin and harder rock in the school I was going to at the time in the ninth grade, some guy that was much older than me, he was, I guess I was, um, you know, in ninth grade, he was 12th grade. And uh, he came over to me one day, he was like, Hey, do, do you know the Grateful Dead? I was like, No. And he goes, here, I want you to have this album. And he gave me a copy of Working Man's Dead. And so I think that that right <laughs> off the bat, that just that experience <laughs> of, you know, somebody just giving me just out of the blue, you know, it wasn't like we were like good friends. I was like so much younger than him. We weren't hanging out or anything. And I think that that was just kind of a feeling about the dead is that, you know, like money didn't matter. It didn't matter who you were. Like everybody was kind of like together, you know, and it was, it was a very mm -hmm. good feeling. It was fun. And the music was great. It was a lot of fun. It yeah. was like dancing in the aisles and when they, ripped into something a little bit different awesome. than the last show, you know, like they did a feels like rain in Rochester and I guess it was 79, 78, 79. I mean, I still remember that to this day cause it was an outdoor show and just, I turned around there was like just the sunset was the most unbelievable thing I ever saw, you know, and Bob Weir's great, you know, right. he's, he's great. I interviewed him once uh, at, at the, at the first other ones show I was shooting for VH1 and we went backstage and and interviewed him basically the room it was his uh dressing room and the room was just like white cinder blocks and there was nothing else in the room so i said to the producer you know we have to have a wide shot here because otherwise it looks like he's in jail and there's at least a water fountain there you know so we set up this really wide <laughs> really wide shot you know so we could see the water fountain and everything he comes in he does his thing he's kind of a boring guy in person he has not a great personality or you know he's not very you know outward but he answered all the questions and then, I don't know, a couple of months went by after that and I didn't hear anything from the producers. Usually, you know, I hear something like, oh, that was a great shoot, whatever. So I called them up and they said, oh man, you didn't hear about mm -hmm. that shoot? I was like, no. He said, you know, his nuts were hanging out through the entire interview. <laughs> I don't know if I can say that oh on a God, podcast. That's amazing. It is a dad's sure. podcast. Yes, you can. That's fine. No, no censorship. Yeah. That is great. Wow. Amazing. So, I was like, so, I'm sorry. I wasn't really looking for that. <laughs> that was not what you were expecting. Yeah. No. It wasn't easily croppable at that era. Not at all. 
Not at all. They said they did say everybody in, in at VH1 watched it over and over again. So it's not like it didn't get viewership. In the late late seventies, early eighties, did you ever go to CBGBs or like that scene? I, I went there and I saw the Ramones at CBGBs. Wow. I hated nice. it. I absolutely oh. hate it. And everybody laughs at me, but you know, I the Ramones kind of weren't. Do you my like thing. the Ramones in general or no? No, I don't. I have all their albums. I totally get what they are and what they do. I actually saw their what I think was their last concert also at the Academy in uh, you know, the Academy in uh, Times Square. They tore it down now. Because yeah. my friends got tickets and I was like, Okay, I'll see the Ramones. Maybe it's better than what I, you know, saw last time. And uh, it wasn't. I felt the same the yeah. same way. I'm just not into like three chord rock. You know, it's just not my thing, but, but I think that they're cool and they were definitely very important. Now, um, to be that this is dad rocks podcast. We talk about music. We also talk about being a parent, um, with your boys when they were young and other grown up now. Um, did you ever take them to concerts or? Yeah, totally. I should say first that, you know, since this is dad rocks, all my kids are named after rock stars. Oh, so, cool. um, so my, my oldest kid is Adrian after Adrian Ballou. And I was a big Adrian Blue fan. Uh, right. He was from King Crimson, Talking Heads, David Bowie. My first wife and now my current wife wouldn't go for the first name rock star thing for my second and third kid. So um, Jeremy, <laughs> my second kid, is named Jeremy Stephen after Stevie Ray Vaughan because uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan had just died oh, right nice. before he, um, right, right when he was born. So I did that. Uh, and and then Charlie Harrison after George the Mop Top. Um, Adam, one show I know you've mentioned to me over the years as like a standout moment for you it was the Bob Dylan's 50th birthday at MSG. 30th. I believe you were, oh, 30th, sorry. It's 30th, 30th, 30th anniversary. Oh, 30th anniversary at MSG. It was in the 90s, right? Like early 90s, I think. October of 1992. 92. And I, you were working at it, right? So you got to go backstage. Lucky me. You, yeah, you were, and you saw so many people. I know you've told me a couple of stories from that night. I know you're sitting with a certain someone backstage eating at the like craft services table. Um, yeah, this, it was tell more us than, about that night. It was more than craft services table. It was pretty swanky. The hard rock cafe set up, you know, a lounge area for everybody, all the artists basically. So my job was done by the time the concert started, because all I had to, you know, all I had to do was interview everybody. It was two weeks of work. So, uh, the night of the show, all I really had to do was interview anybody that we hadn't interviewed before. So I think we interviewed Lou Reed that night. We interviewed Stevie Wonder, like a bunch of people like that. And we had all access passes. So I could be just walk right up to the front row anytime I wanted and watch the show. And when I didn't feel like watching it, I could just go and hang out back there. So basically we were eating at a table with uh, me and my sound person, uh, Tulio at the time. And um, so at our table was um, Shirley MacLaine, the chief counsel of Viacom, Eddie Vedder and Mike McCready, is that his name? I'm not a Pearl Jam fan, but they were very yeah, young. Creedy, yep. um, their first album was just out and uh, the song Jeremy was like all over the radio all you know, summer long and that yep. was already into the fall. Sure. And uh, I always remembered that song and it meant something to me because my middle son at the time who had just been born was named Jeremy and everybody always asked me that when he was born, oh, did you name him after that song? So uh, I wound up sitting next to these guys and right. they were very shy, you know, uh, especially Eddie. They were basically on each side of me, you know, and and so I was like just back and forth mm. kind of talking with them. But to talk with, with Eddie was uh, like pulling teeth because he was just very introverted. And <laughs> the, he kept saying to me, you mm. know, I can't believe that Neil Young is here. You know, I can't believe Neil Young is here. I don't I, I 
I'm gonna fr- I'm gonna freeze. I don't know if I can uh, I don't know if I can say anything to him. And I was just like, um, oh, the other person at the table was Max Weinberg. I said, dude, you know, nice. it would probably mean a lot to you if you go up to him and you know if you have the opportunity to go up to him and say what he means to you as an artist because you know how many times did people think like that and they never said that to somebody that they really admired and then they'll never know i think it would mean a lot to him you're a you're a young artist you guys are great you know i wasn't there when it happened but apparently you know they did meet up at some point and then you know they wound up doing things i take full credit for it you know they put out an album together uh, <laughs> so you know, like uh, adam adam yeah. set think, that that yeah i motion. think they went on tour it was because <laughs> that's of amazing because for like our gen you know me and steve yeah. and josh like generation like their performance of uh rocking in a free world mtv, MTV music awards music awards is like a you know iconic moment Was it you? You put that in, I'm, in motion. I'm absolutely positive <laughs> that they would have run into each other some, sometimes, someplace, sure. and something else would have happened. But you know, at least it sounds yeah. good for me. I didn't kind of like give a like a little gloss over of some of the shows that I took my kids to. Charlie was the one who uh, saw the most shows with me, so I'll just like kind of cruise through a bunch of uh, shows if you don't mind. Yeah, we ahead. saw Elvis Costello and Bob Dylan. Nice. We did the Global Citizens oh, wow. uh, Festival with Neil Young, Kings of Leon, Band of Horses. I took him to Boston nice, Calling, nice. where we saw Mumford & Sons, Nathaniel Rateliff, and uh, Brandy oh, Carlisle. Nice. His favorite band is Mumford & Sons, so it mm. meant a lot to him. And it was a nice trip to Boston. I got to see Kevin Morby. We split up a little bit. I wasn't like my mom, you know, with me. I just let him go, and he saw right. some rap bands. Let him wander, yeah. We joined exactly. up at the merch table. Took him to see uh, Coldplay, Phoenix, Elton John, Paul McCartney, Red Hot Chili Peppers, a bunch of times, Kings of Leon, because right. he really loved them. I uh, took him to Newport Folk Festival when Dylan came back. I think that was 2000, 2001. We nice. did the Americana Fest with Dylan, My Morning Jacket, Wilco. Yes, yes. We great. did the Crawfish Festival. Uh, we did like Emmy Lou Harris, Dr. John, Arlo Guthrie, Trombone Shorty, The Meter Man, Levon Helm, Jeff Beck, Leon oh. Russell, Mavis Staples. Uh, the Moving Sidewalks, <laughs> those psychedelic bands from the 60s that reunited, and we saw yeah, them yes. at B.B. King's. Oh, yeah. That's the guy from... Billy, um, Billy Gibbons, right? Billy, Billy yeah. Gibbons, yeah. yeah. Solomon Burke, uh, yeah. who yeah. my wife and I saw anytime, anywhere, and we took Charlie to see once, and uh, we saw Yorma Kalkinen a bunch of times with him. So he's 21 now, and he's probably seen more shows than most people that are... <laughs> yeah, geez, he's got, oh he's got such an education, yeah. Well, yeah. I was going to ask, I was going to ask earlier, being young and single and then even just, you know, being married is one thing going to shows. But then when you have a family and you have kids, did that, I, obviously that didn't change, you, you know, in your decisions of going to shows. Was there any kind of like for the first few years, was it like, oh, I can't go to the show. I got to take care of the baby kind of thing. Well, actually, when I was with my first wife, which was for a long time, it was for 16 years. Um, she really wasn't into music. Mm. You know, it was kind of a weird thing. We went to film school together, so she was into films more. And so we would wind up mm. just kind of naturally going out to films. And I probably back then when I was with her, I saw the least amount of shows that I 
ever saw in my mm. life. I would do maybe a show a month, you know, when I was with her for those 16 mm. years, which wasn't much for me at all. But, you know, we had a family yeah. and that's just the way it was, you know. And so then I found out quickly after uh, we split up, then I, I met my new wife and I met her at a concert. I met her at a solo asylum concert. And so she was just like wow. all about going to shows. <laughs> and also she was, uh, she was very in with the people at Tramps in New York when they had the best shows in the 90s. And okay. um, uh, so basically she walked yeah. in the door any night she wanted to for free because everybody knew her there and she knew the guy who wow. the bands and everything. So basically oh, I met her at Tramps. So, you know, I was like, okay, I'm with you. You know, I'm your plus one. So we would basically go mm-hmm. every <laughs> single night, you know, that we wanted to for, you know, forever. And, and the bands that played there were just incredible. And then, yeah. you know, all of a sudden my life changed a lot. I was uh, going from seeing maybe one show a month to seeing, you know, a lot. And I still <laughs> yeah. see a lot, except right now we're in a virus and <laughs> I'm yeah. trying to stay alive. Yeah. Now, you and I have seen a few shows together over the years. Yes, we, we have. Ty Siegel in Brooklyn a few years ago. That was that fun. Was one. We, that was my education. Me, you, Steve. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And me, you, and Steve. And actually, now I really, Josh told me he was also at this, was the Black Keys yeah. at Terminal 5. But me and you also were at, we weren't, we didn't go together, but we we're at the same show. We went, one show that I know you, you mentioned to me that has also stuck out that I was there was the White Stripes at MSG. Uh, it was their last tour, it was the Icky Thumb Tour. Grinder Man, which is Nick Cave's like side band, opened up. And I remember you, you always told me that he couldn't believe how Jack White had the crowd in the palm of his hand. Mm-hmm. So you want to tell, talk talk about that show. Yeah, I mean, well, that show was incredible. First, it was the first time I saw Grinderman, and Grinderman. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't even call them a side band. I mean, it is a no, side yeah. band, but I mean, they're like incredible. He could just pull that yes. out of his back pocket anytime he wants and be amazing. It's kind of a more yes. hard edge version of what he usually does. And I mean, both bands. I mean, that to have Nick Cave as an opening band is just ridiculous. But some for some right. reason, people in America just don't get him. I don't understand it. He Raspin, can't really. Yeah. He just, he started playing some bigger shows, like he played Barclay Center the last two times he's come in. But when he's done that, he didn't do a full tour. He's only played like New York, LA, and maybe Houston or something. And then he goes out to Mexico mm-hmm. City. So yeah. it's just limited. So people have to travel a long way to see it. So they fill up the stadium somehow. But that that show, I mean, first, Nick Cave had everybody in the palm of their hands. And everybody was like, who the hell is this? You know, because it wasn't announced. I mean, it, it wasn't on the ticket. I didn't even know until he came on. I was like, holy that's unbelievable. And then the white stripes, yep. he was incredible. Both him and Meg were incredible. I mean, he was just a yeah. guitar god, you know, and you don't see that often enough anymore. Yeah, totally.
As you know, I'm a huge Jack White, White Stripes fan. I was a fan since the very beginning. And even me, I had seen him a couple of times leading up to that. But I remember right before it started, me and my friend were like, I don't, this is like a big place for him and Meg White. Remember it had the minimal lighting and had no screens or anything. It was like super minimal. And we we're like, I don't know if he can do this. And then he, he, they, they pulled it off, so. Yeah, yeah. And, and since then he's become the biggest mogul in the industry. I mean, he's taking over, yeah. you know, records and just everything that he does and and he has great taste and so why not and he's really helped mm -hmm. a lot of other artists and i really think very highly of him and his guitar playing is fantastic and who knows if the white stripes will yeah. get back together you probably know better than me but it would be nice it but it seems seem like likely. it seems like he's got i mean it kind of does to me because he's got this whole operation going and you know he can pull the racket tours mm -hmm. out for a huge tour and it's the biggest thing ever and so he just did that. Exactly. And why not pull the white yep. stripes out after how, how many years has it been? You know, it's been a long time already. I think it's Meg. I think, I think Meg is the one who's holding it back, right? She's she the is, one who does yeah. the tour. So I'm sure. She's like I'm a recluse. She's like a total yeah. recluse. I'm sure like in 2026, whenever they get inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is when they'll they'll probably do one more show. Yeah. And, they yeah. gotta. You know, because whoever thought like people get, you know, argue about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and the merits and everything. But like, think about the Talking Heads got back together to play that show. Um, you know, the, the police playing together police. at that mm -hmm. show was kind of like the impetus for them to reunite. Yeah. And even didn't Journey um, have like a didn't didn't they kind of semi yes, reunite? Steve Perry, I think something like that. Yeah. yeah. But, That's because uh, they can't stop believing. <laughs> they can't, exactly. <laughs> just but can't you know, stop you know, but she, so you never know. Maybe she'll come back and do a one off one off show and it yeah. might, you know, I hope bring some passion back in. Yeah. But uh, so. Adam, Joe tells me that you're a big My Morning Jacket fan. I am a big My Morning yeah. Jacket fan. And I love them. they're kind of like one of these bands that definitely has, you know, kind of slowly skyrocketed up. And even though they're, you know, Jim James has kind of like veered off from them and then come back to them. Do you feel like they're one of these next up and coming great live bands? And, you know, what just what are your experiences in general seeing those shows? Yeah, I don't think that they're up and coming at all. I mean, they are a great live band. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're, they're oh, yeah. live their live shows are better than their records. And it's the same kind of scene for me as the Grateful Dead was. I mean, I see all my friends there. I mean, I probably oh. have, you know, over a hundred jacket fans, you know, that friends that um, I yeah. see at all the shows and we get together, we pre, you know, find some like dive bar to go to and throw down some beers or something before the show. Or we, people come in from all over the country and sleep on somebody's couch. And, you know, it's, it's just a lot oh, wow. of fun to see everybody. And then the shows, just keep getting better and better. And they're also, unfortunately, they, they're getting fewer and fewer. Last year, there was only two shows on the East Coast. Yeah. And I don't really have a great need to travel much for shows. A lot of people, you know, want to do the Red Rock shows or they go to the big holidays.
I took a bunch of photos there, probably over a thousand shots each night. I just never stopped shooting. And uh, for two of those mm. nights, I got a photo pass actually from the band, which was nice. So uh, I don't really oh, like nice. being in the photo pit when I shoot. I like being in the crowd, you know, because otherwise you're just kind of looking up at people and it's kind of weird. And when you're got a little bit more of a perspective, I find it nicer. So I got the photo pass anyway, yeah. just so I could kind of it, like flash it to people and be like, I got to get in here. And just for everyone who doesn't know, because I actually was not able to see that, My Morning Jacket did a run at Terminal 5, uh, and they played, each night they played the entire album. Like, they played one album every night, plus extra songs from that era. And it went from the Tennessee Fire all the way up to, I think it was Evil Urges at the time. Or, uh, yeah. And... You know, it's I, I was so upset because I think I was either living in Maryland or I think it was in, down in Maryland teaching at the time. And I just couldn't get up for those shows. And I was so upset because I would definitely want to go at least see the Z show or, 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 you know, at that time I was really into evil urges, too. And I just kind of eventually did see them at Merriweather Post Pavilion down in Maryland uh, oh, yeah. later that year. But um, with Preservation Hall was playing with them. So that was an awesome show. Mm, um, that's a good but show. yeah, I just. That's amazing that you were able to go to all those shows because that's there's. Uh, I, I only wish I was there. <laughs> yeah, I, they they were great. I mean, they just did the Tennessee Fire again recently. Uh, one of the yeah. shows that they did last year, they did up at Porchester at the Capitol Theater, and they did it was the 25th anniversary, I think. Was yeah, it, I think that's really? right. Yeah, <laughs> the 20th anniversary. It, it was great. They remastered the album, and it was an amazing show, an amazing show. And the next night they played the the um, Forest Hill Stadium, and that was even better, if that's possible. And I was mm. on the rail for both of them. And I took a lot of shots there also. Ah. Absolutely great. Well, the next time I go see them, I'm definitely going to hit you up. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll be in yeah. contact. Yeah, we'll go. I'm in. Yeah. We'll bring Joe and Steve with us too. Yeah, I need to see them. Yet. I need to see them live. It's on my list. I want to see them again. I really wanted to go to that Forest Hills show. But the only time I saw them actually was they opened for the Foo Fighters at Roseland Ballroom. This was like 2002. Yeah. 2001, 2002, like early on. And I had no, you know, I had no idea who they were. They were these long haired guys playing, you know, they're like very jammy kind of music. And we're like, by the end of the set, we're like, who, who is this band? Mm -hmm. Like this band's amazing. So I never forget seeing them there. Yeah. 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 I didn't see them that early. I I saw them, I guess, right, right before Terminal 5. I saw like maybe one or two or three shows before then, but right around that, that era. Maybe about twelve years mm. ago, something like that, was when I started seeing him. Yeah. Actually, yeah. my middle son turned me on to them. Uh, Jeremy, he wow. he said, "Oh, Dad, I, I think I have a band that you probably like," and he played them for me, and I was like, "Definitely." And so that's yeah. how I kind of got into my morning jacket for my my kid, which is great. So you know, uh, Dad yeah. can yeah. teach kids both things, ways. but then kids yeah. kids can definitely <laughs> teach dads things once they get past like <laughs> the era of like being into like new kids on the block or the Jonas Brothers. You know, and they kind of, get, <laughs> yeah. you know, get figure out, you know, what music is and what they like and everything. It can be really great. It's a great relationship, you know. And and yeah. and I definitely and, did that with yeah. my dad. We I remember distinctly. We went and saw. Um, we were both my brother and I were both into Primus, and Les Claypool was touring with his Frog Brigade in like 2001, and we were in Disney World, and they were playing at the House of Blues. And my dad's like, "We're going to that show," and like he bought tickets the minute that we found out about it. And so, 
it's, it was always fun when we could get him into, into bands and then he would take us to those shows and stuff like that. Yeah. It's a good reason to turn your dad onto something, you know, yeah. I, for all the kids out there, I highly recommend turning your dads on to like the real cool bands of the times because it's going to pay off. You're going to go to more shows. You're going to get all yeah. the current records, you know. Related to that. So how do you find new music besides through your sons? Like, is there, we kind of know you because obviously through Joe and, and working with you and stuff, but that your music takes are like ahead of the curve, way ahead of the curve. You were in Neil Francis way before any of us even knew who he was. And now we're all huge fans. But even like this year, Sven Wonder to me is like, one of the new discoveries that you uh, turned me on to and Slift yeah. and like, I've never, I have to go check these guys. Oh, Sven Wonder is m- amazing. I just started listening to yeah. him. Like, and it's like very varied, like, like wow, it's jazz, funk, soul, instrumental, but like each yeah. album that I've heard of the two are like completely different styles. One's like more in like a, almost like a Japanese. And then one's more like almost like Turkish influenced, I guess. Mm-hmm. Turkish. Yeah. But yeah. Like do you, besides through your kids and, just like, how do you, how do you get turned on to new music? Where's, where's your ear to the ground? Are you just listening to everything and everything? Yeah. I think that these are funny times. I mean, I think when you're into something, things kind of find you, you know, like um, I'm into mm-hmm. music. I collect records. I mean, you'd be surprised how just things just find me. I mean, I just get emails. I get like uh, on Instagram. I mean, it just seems like everything just kind of finds you. And, um, but my antennas are mm-hmm. up about very specific kinds of music. And I guess, you know, if, if you have um, a certain kind of taste and yeah, if you have a certain kind of taste and you hear, you can hear a lot of things, but if you kind of zone in on the right things, then, um, you know, then you have something. And so everybody zones in on the things that they're really into. And, you know, a lot of people wouldn't necessarily like the music that I love that's coming out now, but I mean, I think it's a very exciting time in music. I mean, I think it's actually, the most exciting yeah. time in music in my lifetime yes. is right now, you know, than uh, even more so than the seventies or, I mean, I was young in the sixties, but you know, I was listening to some music, but not anything, you know, obscure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for finding about Neil Francis and then yeah. telling, I guess, Joe or something. We're all huge fans. I, I, yeah, I saw your post and then I told these guys, I'm like, you got to hear this <laughs> Neil Francis. Yeah. Now no. we're like all obsessed with them. Yeah. If you recommend something, it's, it's going to be good. I'm a big Alan Toussaint, you know, big meters, Alan Toussaint, yeah. New Orleans, you know, kind of style, that that funk era. And just like the minute I, I mean, the, the song that Joe had had played on his radio show, I was like, eh. And then I listened to cha- the whole Changes album. And I was just, my mind was blown. Nope. And, you know, I was like, this Josh guy, uh, I was this white down. guy from Chicago Bruce. doing Alan Toussaint. I like, I didn't, I didn't get Technical it. So issues. Um, one thing though, if you like Neil Francis, do you know Monophonics? No. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I, they're, I don't think I know they're that. On the coal, they're yeah. on the same record label. Coal mine, they're off Coal Mine Records, yeah. right? They mm. pro- they probably got um, Neil into into that because Monophonics has been around for a while. They're a, a mm. Bay Area band. And basically everything that they do centers around 1967. So like all the <laughs> all the guitar pedals, everything that they, uh, the instruments that they play is all 1967. And um, nice. it's Kelly Finnegan. Now he started putting out some, some albums under his name. Um, he's a piano oh, yeah. keyboard player also. I've but, seen his uh, name now. Yeah, but Mono, Monophonics' band is just, they they kill it. And they would come mm. in about once a year to New York. And that. they're mm. incredible. And also, if you don't know the Rose City bands, they just they just announced today, I just did the pre-sale 
for their new album. They're absolutely incredible. It's uh, R- Ripley Johnson from Wooden Ships mm. and Moon Duo. Nice. He has a okay. bunch of bands. I, yeah, I've heard of yeah. Wooden Ships. Yeah. yeah, he's he's like uh, if you like psychedelic music, he's like uh, the psychedelic guitar god. You know, I just wanted to mention a few. Th- you know, we've again getting back to the intro. Uh, we you know we've been on shoots together. We've worked over the years on uh, many different shoots, but you know we we have done our share with uh, Miss Beyonce. Oh, yeah. And uh, as we've talked about a lot and, you know, all over New York City and especially during like the, the Sasha Fierce era where we were always so impressed how professional she was. <laughs> and it was just I always remember those shoots with you a lot. Yeah. I mean, we shot her birthday you know, party. Yeah. Shot her birthday party. We shot there was something with the subway. Do you remember we shot her coming yeah. out of the subway? Yeah. 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 For her album B Train, because it was the B Train. <laughs> yeah. Or B, it was just called B, or whatever. I think every time she sneezed, they called us. You know, <laughs> I mean, we were just there when, whenever, whenever at her beck and call. Yeah. W- was she nice? Was, did you get to interact with her or were her people nice oh. or was it like yeah. one of those? Yeah. I mean, she has publicists, you know, and so, um, you know, she comes in and we're all very professional. I mean, it's not our job to like start, like, Being you know. Friends. Uh, right. Yeah. Communicating with the talent, you know, but but she's just overly nice. She's a very nice person. One of the nicest celebrities I've worked with, you know, and she goes out of her way to make everybody feel comfortable. And she's she's very grounded. That's awesome. And, and she feels really good about herself and she makes everybody else comfortable. You know, she doesn't make you feel like, you know, I mean, she walks in and she's decked out in these gowns and her hair and everything. And she's like, unbelievable. She's very human also. And also I suppose it didn't hurt that we were really working with her since she was in destiny's child. So she was just a little, you know, a kid, you know, she was, I think 17 or 18 when we started working with her, she got to know us really well over a long period of time. And you know, I, I was very, I felt always felt very honored to work with her, even though she's, I'm not like a fan of her music or anything. I would go see her in concert if she gave me a free ticket, but, you know, <laughs> but you know, it was fun, you know, being around her. She's a, she's a very, she's a talent, you know, she's very talented at what she does, even though it's not exactly my thing. No, for sure. And then, uh, JLo was another one that of course we had some memorable, uh, experiences with. Oh, yeah. One was, uh, I was, I was in your van uh, Josh and Steve, we got, you know, the call, we have to go to this record store, I believe in the Bronx, right? In the Bronx. Yeah. On Jerome <laughs> Avenue back, uh, back Jerome in the block Avenue. or something. J-Lo on and the block. And so we're, block. we're all in the car and Adam's, we hear a weird noise in his, in his van, his trusty van, and it just breaks down right on the highway. On, and on, we had to be uh, there pretty soon. We're on the Cross Bronx Expressway and, oh my, my, fr- God. and, and my front axle broke down. Wow. So oh, our, our director was sitting next to me. Joe was in the back seat and uh, we just like literally we hit the pavement, you know, because we had no front wheels. And and so I just look at the director and, uh, you know, we're kind of like, you know, we're screwed. And literally, I didn't even have a chance to look around. I heard a honk and it was a tow truck was right next to me. And I rolled down my window. He goes, oh, need wow. a lift. And it, it couldn't have been more than five seconds after, <laughs> after it broke down. And I was like, yes, yeah, we need a lift. Amazing. We're going to Jerome Avenue. We have to work with J-Lo. Hop to it. Let's do it. And so he, he pulls us and he drops <laughs> us. There were thousands of people outside of this um, store because she was going to do a record signing. And and yeah. she was with Mark oh, Anthony shit. also. And so she they, the tow truck act just drops us literally right in the middle of Jerome Avenue in the Bronx. And, and like, I'm, I'm like, I don't care. We just left out that there were like, I don't know, a couple dozen cops there. And I just said to one of the cops, watch my van, please. You know, I mean, I'm going to shoot this thing. So, 
we went in and we shot it and it, it, it was, it was great. I mean, it was a very quick shoot. It was one of those, you know, grip and grins, you know, get her walking in the door yeah. or get her like in front of the step and repeat saying something about her album and then getting like 10 fans, like, you know, getting their record signed and a couple of reactions afterwards and screaming fans outside the door. It's kind of like, you know, when you do enough of those things, it's like, um, just clockwork, you know? So I think we were in and out of there in an hour and then you guys all took the subway home and I, I had to, I had to like wait for a couple hours because the, the kind of tow truck that needed to tow my truck needed to be a supersize. So good times. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember you ran in and I had to stay back and I was at one point waiting for AAA. It was a whole thing. We we're just trying to make yeah. it work. There was, like you said, thousands of people outside, hundreds of people outside screaming. It was, it was a whirlwind. Yeah. To, we did a lot of good shoots together. Yeah. We did. We had a lot of times. I mean, those times Beyonce, JLo, JLo in the, in the, at the school. The live also event with Mark Anthony was pretty memorable. Too. Oh, yeah. All the Billy Joel shoots. I mean, they're like David Bowie. I don't know. There's like so many. You know, you grew up in, uh, did you grow up in New York City or in Jersey or in uh, New yep. York suburbs? I grew up in Brooklyn until okay. the second grade. And then I moved out into the boondocks oh. and gotcha. in Putnam Valley. We moved up to Putnam okay. Valley. And then I was like in the middle of nowhere. You grew up in, you know, around New York City, going to shows in New York City. So, you know, New York has always had some of the most iconic venues um, and places to see music. What over over the years, what are your like top five venues that you ever, you know, saw bands at? Well, Tramps is uh, was incredible. Mm. I, I don't I don't know if I can like number them or anything, but I'll just say Tramps, Brooklyn Bowl, Music Hall of Williamsburg. Webster Hall, That's you know, ven venues like venues like that Bowery Ballroom, you know, I like a nice mm -hmm. intimate yeah. place and a place where the stage is a little high, you know, so that if you're standing there, you don't have to, you know, just look at heads. You can actually see somebody that's <laughs> a little higher and uh, yeah. where the sound is good, you know, and, and I like all those places. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, along with your favorite venues, do you have any like super memorable, like, amazing like the, it's they can't be beat type shows that you you know what what are your top I, favorite concerts if you can even you know yeah it's it's really hard to do that but i mean when people people ask me that more than i like to answer it but um my top my top show i always say is uh pink floyd the animal store which was uh oh, wow. i saw him on yeah. july 3rd 1977 and i remember it like it was yesterday i happened to get wow. lucky because my friend in school, his father worked at ABC and they did some lighting with the lighting company there. And so he got these tickets and he didn't want them. So I said, I'll take them. And I went with my friend and we wound up being third row wow. center for that. And, and they played basically, Oh um, my all of, God. All, they, they started out by playing all of wish you were here in its entirety. Then they did all of animals in its entirety. And then they did two what? songs from dark side of the moon. And Jesus. I just walked out of there like, Holy shit. like oh I had just God. seen, you know, the promised land. And, um, <laughs> Yeah. And so um, it, that wow. that show I always put at the top, probably because my seats were so good, you know, and it was just really they were mm -hmm. at the, the height yeah. as far yeah. as I could see they're at the height of their game. But I think probably anybody who saw them mm -hmm. in 67 or 72 or 74 would say that they were at the height of their game, too. So it's just my you know, for me, that was my yeah. lucky night. But, you know. I, I saw Zeppelin on the 77 tour. I saw Queen uh, right around then when they came to Madison Square Garden, I think 76, you know, wow. just a, a wow. lot, of, a lot of shows. I saw Joni Mitchell a few times, but she, they did this, um, one of those anniversaries of Woodstock. I think it was maybe the 30th anniversary of Woodstock in the nineties mm, where gotcha. it was uh, Joni Mitchell, 
Lou Reed, Richie Havens, and Pete Townsend. And uh, so seeing Joni Mitchell right up close like that when she could still sing, you know, was was really fantastic. Mm. And that that was pretty special. And just there's just so many times where, you know, it's it's like you're just in a place and it doesn't even matter if you're if you're have the best seats or not. And you just like just pinch yourself that, oh, my God, you know, I mean, I can't believe that I'm here, you know, I'm here and I'm seeing this. The music is so good. And you can see it sometimes in the crowd. If Sometimes if you see uh, photographers who take shots of the crowd and, you know, when just people are just in ecstasy, you know, I mean, the, there's never, they might not mm-hmm. reach that pinnacle ever again that year. You know, the kind of, the kind of emotion that can come out of yeah. you when the music yep. is just so perfect and it hits you in such a, such a serious way that it just, you know, you don't even know what's happening in your body almost, you know. And, um, and, and that, that happens at concerts for me. And that's why I'm a music junkie and a concert junkie. And, you know, I, that's why I keep going back for more because it feels like a drug, you know, and it's better for me. It is. It's, it's, it is way better for you. You know, the, the hits, it's amazing. And like you were saying, you know, you kind of know what the crowd, but I always, I always love it. You know, and I feel super special if I am at a show and a band releases an official live album or a live, from the you know, show live you're at, yeah. production from the production. Yeah. From the show that I was at, mm-hmm. which is like only a Probably. handful of times, but it's always just like, it's so, it's so awesome. You could say, yep, I was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. And yeah, it's usually a very memorable night too. So, yeah, we obviously know that we're going through the pandemic and we're kind of having withdrawals, concert withdrawals. I'm sure you are as well. <laughs> First of all, can I'm you, a, I'm, I'm feeling <laughs> great actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Um, but what, when do you think, uh, personally, do you think concerts will come back? And when do you think you'll go back? Like, when will you be comfortable enough to, to return to the fold and see live music again? I don't really know. I mean, I have only seen maybe five streams, mm. you know, this entire wow. time. I mean, I I'm know like a lot of my friends are just like watching all the streams and everything. But I mean, they've probably gotten better since when it started. But when it started, mm-hmm. I just felt like they were really lame. I felt like I was watching like a little rehearsal in somebody's bedroom. And, you know, half the time, you know, they don't have their roadies there tuning the guitars. And half the time it's like, oh, man, mm-hmm. your guitar's out of tune. You know, it looks like you're just just practicing for something. So there was one there was one artist, Kevin Morby, who I love, who uh, I was tuning into his Instagram things just because he's amazing and I had to. Um, but other than that, I really didn't check out anything i thought that the ones i saw were lame and so i haven't watched any of them and i've just been playing my records i'm really happy playing my records and i'm saving money right. by not going to concerts and it's fine you know i've seen my share of concerts like yeah you know if i never see another concert again i did a good job you know i think that um <laughs> I, I try i try to be very safe during this pandemic and so I'm in no rush to see anything, you know, and I know that uh, there's a lot of venues like uh, I go to Newport Folk Festival every year and, um, you know, they're trying to get it together to do it this summer, but I'm not going to be in such a rush to go. But I mean, when I see the lineup, I'll probably change my mind. I don't know. I think, I think, (laughs) I think when I feel comfortable, I'll know it. You know, I also have a wife who, you know, I can't be going to concerts and being maybe, you know, put in jeopardy. If she's not going to go with me, then I'm not going to just go to concerts and come back here and maybe spread something that right. she doesn't want because we've all right. been spending the last year being safe. Yeah. You know, my last concert yeah. was Lancome. At, it was on, uh, I saw them on March 8th at Mercury Lounge. Do you know Lancome? Mm. They're an incredible Irish band. No, no. Yeah, I highly suggest okay. them. They're incredible. Lancome. They're going to be, uh, they're, they're going to be big. They're going to be 
they're going to be something because they really have something special. It's kind of a super group. You know, they're on the Irish side. They're Irish, but it's 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 great. They, <laughs> nice. They take the yeah. traditional sounds and they really bring it. They bring it. It's great. Well, Adam, we're at the like the hour mark. I think it's you know we've had an awesome time talking to you. Was there anything you wanted to just mention before we go? Plug? Yeah, um, yeah I think I think we should do another one of these. We should have like a part two. I mean, I think really sure. doing this with me with just one episode is an injustice to all the fans <laughs> out there that yes. I have. You know, exactly. So, Agreed. you know, I just think I, I'd hate to leave them like this with just such few stories. So I don't know. We could probably think about that or, you know, I'm sure you have plenty of yeah. other great people. So I'm just really yeah. joking. Oh, no, we but, got um, fewer, fewer than you think. Yeah. <laughs> we got to bring you back for vinyl for vinyl talk. There's going to be plenty no, of yeah. vinyl yeah, talk we'll, later and another we'll do a vinyl talk. And then and then then the minute that Joe finally gets into the dead, we'll have yeah. uh, we'll have both you and Rob Mitchum come on and you will talk about we'll have yeah. the three of you talk about right. the Grateful Dead and, and, and all that. Wait a minute, Joe, you're not into the dead. I'm not a dead hater. I like say fish. I'm really like I'm never getting into fish like. It's not happening. The Dead, I have American Beauty and like yeah. I appreciate them for yeah. sure. I just I've never dove in. I Yeah, yeah I really haven't dove, dove in much either. I know enough through an ex-girlfriend and but same thing. I'm very yeah, it's like I know there's a whole world to explore. And like I told Rob Mitchum, I mean, there's a been for guys our age, like 40, turning 40, there's been this whole renaissance of these guys who I've known for years that were never into the dead. And all of a sudden they turn 40 and like, I think I have to get into the dead now. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, okay. It's a thing. So I'm waiting for that thing to snap in my brain. Like all of a sudden I'm buying bootlegs of English town 77. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I just got an, I just got a Nug subscription. So I'm going to start to listen, hopefully to some of those shows. Now that there, yeah. there are most of them there, a lot of the good ones. So, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's well, good. I mean, you got American Beauty. I mean, that's a good place to yeah. start. Yeah, it is. Working yeah, Man's like Dead it. and Live seventy two. Yeah, yeah. You know, those. Yeah, are the, I mean, yeah. I mean, those two albums really are like kind of a, an Americana soundtrack. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of started started a certain kind of you know Americana that that was pretty beautiful. Yeah. So. And then, then we'll have to have you back just to talk Zappa so that, you know, and then yeah, uh, we need an episode. Zappa's another one. Yeah. I could tell you about the time that bald headed John ran out into the audience. He was Zappa's um, security guard. He ran out into the audience, grabbed my little cassette recorder that I would hold up to record all the shows with. And he crushed it in one hand. Whoa. <laughs> wow. Yeah. No bootlegs allowed. Oh my God. Yeah. That's great. Well, Adam, thanks so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. And like we said, we've definitely got to do it again. Excellent. Thank you very much for having me. I've never been invited to do anything before. So, you know, this is like a a shock and I hope I passed the audition. (laughs) You did. You You did, did. sir. You did did. did quite well. At this point in the show, we would normally be telling you what we've been listening to, but since this episode ran longer than usual, we decided to forego that part of the show this time around. We'll have our music picks for you in our next episode, which will be part two of our concert-themed episode where Josh, Steve, and I discuss our favorite concert memories. So that's it for this episode of Dad Rocks. Thanks for listening, and thanks so much to Adam Shanker for coming on to the show. We had a blast talking with him, and hopefully he'll be joining us again in the near future. You can check out Adam on Instagram at adam.shanker. 
Facebook at Adam Shanker, as well as his very active eBay account, which is at Mr. Fantasy, P-H-A-N-T-A-S-Y, where he has hundreds of vinyl records for sale. And don't forget to check us out on our social pages, Instagram and Twitter at Dad Rocks Pod, as well as Facebook. If you have any comments, questions, show ideas, you can email us at dadrockspod at gmail.com. We have some very special musical guests coming up in the next month or so, so please be on the lookout for that. Very exciting. Please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. We'd greatly appreciate it. Again, thanks for listening. And dads, in case you forgot, you rock. <laughs>